Turn with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians will be in chapter 3. A couple of weeks ago, we began a teaching on in Philippians chapter 2 with the question of, what is God like? What is God like? And the answer to that question was Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. He is God. He is what God is like. And this morning, I want to ask you the question, what is Christianity about? And the answer is simply the same. Christianity is about Jesus. It's short, it's simple, it's about Jesus. And this makes Christianity distinctive among all religions. It's the only religion that's based solely on a relationship to a person. It's quite remarkable. And that person is God. God himself. Relationship to Christ. This is what Christianity is about. And this is what we'll see this morning in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. The title this morning is Guarding Your Joy in Christ. And I'll go ahead and give you the answer. How do we guard our joy in Christ? By boasting and finding our confidence only in Christ. Boasting and finding our confidence only in Christ. Mickey Mantle, a lot of you are familiar with Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle is said to have been one of the greatest baseball players that ever lived. One of the naturally most strong, the strongest baseball player that ever lived. He would hit home runs further than many baseball players have ever hit. He's on the list of the most home runs hit in, in, a, in his career. He's at the top of that list. He had a, and he had a relatively short career, retired at 36. And most baseball players, as you know, uh, retire later than that or some of you will know, retire later than that now. The reason I talk about Mickey Mantle is because he had an incredible natural ability. He had many gifts and and talents. And then he became a a father of four and was a husband. But many of you know he he didn't leave an exemplary lifestyle. In fact, he was often drunk after games, was an alcoholic. And after he retired... we have some interviews that we can watch that Mickey Mantle would say that after he retired, it was as if he had not done enough for people. And so he even went spiraled down further into his alcoholism. And this lasted for many, many years until this was in the late 60s. And then it was the early 90s when he finally would be willing to go to a treatment facility and he would be willing to become sober. But it's interesting, Mickey Mantle would say later, he would tell all those who respected him. He was a famed player, very respected, but he would say to everyone in one of his last interviews before he died, because of cancer and due to the abuse he put on his body, he'd say, don't be like me. Don't be like me. He had incredible abilities in his body, God-given abilities, he would even say, and he said, I wasted it. You see, it was this boasting in the flesh is what Paul will talk about. In our day and age, this is what we boast in. We boast in our abilities, our talents, our achievements. This is what Mickey Mantle had more than any of us could even think about, more achievements. But he would later say, don't be like me. It wasn't worth it. And this is what we'll see in Paul this morning. All the achievements, while different from Mickey Mantle, respected in his day, they say, not worth it. Not worth it compared with Christ. So, will you stand with me this morning? We'll read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 
and consider the worth of Christ. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, actually, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading and teaching of your word this morning, that we may see the all-surpassing worth of Christ, and that we may boast only in you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Paul begins this teaching with this, rejoice in the Lord. And this is the command for the entire passage. And so that's, that's the title, guarding your joy in Christ. What we'll see is that the things that follow are things that could prevent us from rejoicing in the Lord. Those things being boasting in our flesh. But right after that, we see Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Evidently, this is something that Paul had told the Philippians multiple times. He had told them multiple times, watch out for those people who would encourage you to boast in yourself and in your flesh. There's a story about a preacher who uh, preached a sermon one Sunday, and after the service was over, he He went out and a lady came up to him and said, Pastor, you preached that sermon last week. And he said something to the extent of, you start doing it and I'll stop preaching it. It's okay to preach the same things over and over. Moreover, it's even helpful for us. And so Paul, this is something he's told them multiple times. He wants to make sure they get it. He wants them to be aware of the danger of boasting in the flesh and in ourselves. So, verse 3, Paul says, after he tells them, look out for the dogs, these dogs are the people who would actually boast in the flesh. And the reason he uses the word dogs is because Jews would sometimes call Gentiles dogs. They were the people without the covenant, not knowing God. But Paul twisted a little bit to say the dogs are really the ones who are going to tell you that you need to be circumcised to really have relationship with God. 
The dogs are anyone, it's anyone who tells you that you need something in yourself and in your flesh to really know God. And so Paul twists the concept just a bit and he says, watch out for the dogs. Look out for evildoers and then look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is interesting. It's actually a play on words. The word mutilate, it has the root of the word circumcision, which is used just after that. Paul says, we are the circumcision. But what he's saying is, those who tell you that you have to be circumcised to have relationship with God, that's actually going to damage more than it helps. It's mutilating the flesh. It's not just circumcision. And so Paul says in verse 3, we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God. Friends, this is what makes us people of God. This is what makes us people of God. What Paul says, we worship by the Spirit of God. The term worship simply means serve. We serve everything we do. We do by the Spirit of God who lives within us, who has given us life in Christ. We were dead in our sins. The Spirit makes us alive through the new birth. This is what makes us children, people of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. We boast only in Him. And then we put no confidence in the flesh. We know that it can do nothing for us. But we boast only in Christ. This is what makes us God's people. Now here are the main points for this morning. Don't boast in yourself. Boast only in Christ. These are the only points. Don't boast in yourself. Boast only in Christ. Let's look at what Paul says in these these verses Paul says in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Let's go ahead and get this straight. Paul's not one of those guys who's saying this because he's jealous. Paul's not a hater. He's got the credentials. If he wants to have confidence in the flesh, he can have it. More so than any of those who are out there. He's he's like Mickey Mantle saying, I've had it, I've experienced it all, it's not worth it. Paul's saying, I've got the credentials. I'm not hating on those who do do have them because I've got them. And I'm saying, it's not worth it. And so Paul establishes himself. He said, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason, I've got more. Let's look at these things that Paul says that he could boast in. And they're really easily divided into two things. Privileges by birth and then personal accomplishments. These are the things that we all tend to boast in, right? We're, we're born into maybe a well-to-do family. Or maybe after we, we make something of ourselves. We work hard, and so we're able to boast in that. And so these are similar things that we all boast in. But privileges by birth, personal accomplishments. Here are the privileges by birth. First, he was circumcised on the eighth day. This is simply religious heritage. Paul was born into a very religious family, and they circumcised him on the eighth day, which is according to the law of Israel. He was born into a family, grew up in the church. His family was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what this basically means, that why he's boasting and being of the people of Israel there were those who could kind of, they could be converted to the people of Israel and become a part of the nation. And so Paul was saying, I didn't convert, I was born into the people of Israel. It's kind of like being born a Tiger fan and then converting to being a Tiger fan later. I mean, it's still good if you convert to one, but it's better if you were born that way, right? No, evidently they have 
license plates that say born a Texan and then others that say got here as fast as I could, but I don't really like Texas that much, so <laughs> just kidding. But they, they make beautiful girls. <laughs> so Paul is saying, I was born this way. I was born of the people of Israel. I didn't convert. It's the most pure form of an Israelite and of God's people. He was born into it. The tribe of Benjamin. This is also something that could be boasted about. Benjamin was the tribe from which the first king of Israel came. The king that Paul was named after, Saul. It was the land in which Jerusalem, the city of God, dwelt. It was, Benjamin was a precious people. The tribe of Benjamin remained faithful to the family of David when the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom split. The kingdom of Benjamin remained faithful to the family of David. They were a pure tribe of all the tribes. And so what Paul wants to say, as far as anyone during this time is concerned as being reputable before God and having good credentials, Paul's got it. Paul's got it. Here's what I think we need to just be aware of here. There there are many blessings that go along with growing up in a Christian home with being taught the word from being a child. But there are also dangers, friends, of growing up in a Christian home. For some reason, because we've grown up in it and because we attend services so often, because our family has been so faithful, we think that we have some right to God. And what Paul is going to say is, it's absolutely not true. And this is, I'm not saying that you, because you've grown up, that you're not faithful. But you do need to be aware. I need to be aware, friends. I grew up in church as well. We have no rights to God. Just because you've grown up in it doesn't mean you can be any closer to Him than anyone else. In fact, the most moral person could be the most damned person. This is what Paul's expressing. So, many of us have privileges by birth. Paul says, I have more than any of you. I can boast more than any of you. But then he also has these personal accomplishments, things he's attained on his own. And so he says, he was circumcised, excuse me, he was asked to the law a Pharisee, asked to zeal, a persecutor of the church, asked to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's expressing his personal morality. As to the law, he's a Pharisee. He has done every dot of the law. He has not failed. He was zealous for the purity of worship. It's very odd, right, that Paul would boast in being a persecutor of the church. It's somewhat strange. But you see, what Paul is telling us is that he was so zealous for pure worship of God that when other people began worshiping Christ... He began to try to fight against that because he believed with all his heart that the Old Testament was the pure form of worship of God. And so what Paul is just telling us is that he was zealous for truth and for the worship of God. More zealous than many of his co-workers. And then he tells us that as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. What Paul's telling us here is simply that he was faithful to the exterior law. Everything that the Old Testament laid down, Paul was entirely faithful to it. Now, we shouldn't be confused here with Paul's 
understanding that no one is righteous. Paul says that, right? No one's righteous, no, not one. That's, Paul wasn't, isn't saying here, he's not contradicting that to say, I was fully righteous in his heart. What he's saying is, is concerned the exterior law. Paul said, I, I did it all. And so what we need to ask is, what is the root of our confidence? Friends, we all need it. We, if we don't have some form of confidence, then we will just go back and forth between depression and then being extremely happy and then back into depression and then down on ourselves. So we just need to ask ourselves, where really do we find our identity, our contentment, our confidence? Is it anything that we are in ourselves, something we've been born into, something we've attained, a talent that we have on our own? We'll see that Paul tells us that's nothing to boast in. But what Paul is saying here and what, is that there are advantages that go along with status we're born into. There are advantages that go along with talents and things that we accomplish. But what Paul is going to tell us is that Christ is still better. It doesn't matter what you accomplish, how great it is, what you're born into. It's, it's still, Christ is still better. So, as we introduce this next section, boast only in Christ, I want to read you this quote from Jim Elliott. I used the illustration of Jim Elliott a couple sermons back. He died trying to witness and bring the gospel to a group of Indians. They would kill him, but then after his death, it would open up opportunity for the gospel to go to those Indians. But Jim Elliott would say, before he died, he, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you hear that? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You understand that? That all the things that we're born into, all the things that we attain on our own, all those things are temporary. This is where Mickey Mantle found himself when he was suffering with cancer and he looked so frail that he could barely walk. All those accomplishments he had, he couldn't keep them. He was going to die and they pass away. He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. What Paul would find is that you can't lose Christ. You can't lose Christ. So boast only in Christ. He is true joy. Look at verse 7. After Paul boasts and all these things and mentions all the things that he attained and the privileges he had from birth, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The first thing we see in boasting only in Christ is Paul counts his losses. Paul counts his losses. You see... This is a deeply emotional passage. This is what we'll see. It's very experiential experiential on how Paul has experienced Christ. But it's more than just emotion. It's also based on, uh, on Paul thinking through this. You see how he, the language, I counted these things as loss compared with gain, gaining Christ. It, it's really like looking at a ledger or at a budget, and, he, and he's counting both sides. Here are my losses, here are my gains. And so what he's going to say is, all those things that I had, loss. But Christ, it's all gain. You can pile up all those things, those personal accomplishments and privileged birth. It's all loss compared to the gain of just Jesus. 
It's a rational thinking through. Paul's saying, I've counted them. I've, I've looked at, I've counted the losses. And Jesus is gain. He's always gain. And so this is, a, this is a thinking through that Paul has done as he makes this decision. But we also need to consider another aspect of this, that you can't combine Christ and your other gains. It, Paul's, what Paul's doing, he's counting his losses because he can't combine all his personal accomplishments with Christ. We, need, we really need to see this. The illustration here, the, the picture we see is like the illustrations Jesus uses when talking about the kingdom of God. He talks about a man who starts exploring some land, this field. This man, he sees this field and it, perhaps he doesn't have enough money to buy it. He knows he doesn't. But as he's exploring this field and just admiring all this field has to offer, as he's looking, he discovers something in the field that is worth a great deal. Maybe those who are selling the land haven't discovered what it is that's in that field. Maybe it was black gold, as the Beverly Hillbillies used to say, right? But he discovers the worth of this field, and he says he goes and sells everything he has so that he can buy that one field. It's like the man who's an expert in pearls, and he finds one that's of great worth and he sells everything that he has so that he can have that one. You see, the picture is that you can't combine your personal achievements and your privileged birth, your boasting, you can't combine it with Christ. And the reason for this is because if you try to add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. Friends, this is what Christ would give you. He would give you himself complete forgiveness of all your sins. But if you try to add anything into that, it's no longer grace. Christ will not compete. He will only, he will give you himself and everything else has to be counted as loss. So, we need to understand that in not boasting in our, we can't boast in ourselves if we're to gain Christ. We can't combine these things. But look what Paul does. He shows us how much this loss was. He says in verse 7 first, he counted as loss. Notice it's past tense. In the past, when he came to, Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he counted everything as lost to follow Christ. Know that Paul would be persecuted by all his people, right? He would, he would lose his status among them. Paul couldn't maintain that status. He had to lose it to follow Christ. And so in the past, Paul counted it all as lost. But then in verse 8, Indeed, I count. It's present tense. I continue to count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's a picture of the life of discipleship, friends. When we come to Christ and meet him, we must be willing to count everything else as lost so that we may follow and know Christ. But it doesn't just happen one time. In the life of discipleship, we have to continue to count everything as lost compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So Christian, 
Are you continuing to count everything as loss? Taking up your cross daily to follow Christ. Paul continued time, day after day to say, Christ is better than anything I could gain or boast about in myself or accomplish myself. Notice the way Paul describes this. He says, it's all rubbish. I love that word, rubbish. But the actual word here is scubala, and it means dung. All those things, all those things you had at birth, all those things you could accomplish on your own through your talents and through your striving, Paul says, I'm not even going to mention them. It just combines to dung. Here it is. Here's all my stuff. It's dung. It's just a pile of junk. It's rubbish. Paul says it's nothing compared with the worth, the value of Jesus, of knowing Jesus. I wonder if you feel that way about everything in this life, that it's all rubbish compared with Jesus. So he counts his losses, and he says they amount to rubbish. They're nothing. And then Paul counts his gains. And let me just be honest, this section is really hard. This section is really hard. If someone asked you, what are your gains in Christ? I wonder what you would say. Would you say, I suffer with him? Because that's what Paul says. I want to suffer with him. I want to know him better. I want to experience the depths of his obedience when he went to the cross. That's what Paul expresses. And friends, the reason it's so hard is because I don't always want to experience that. That's why this passage doesn't make much sense to us sometimes. Because we don't really want to experience the depths of knowing Christ in this way. It's really, really hard. So let's look at counting the gains and pray that the Spirit of Christ will help us to want to know Him this much. Counting gains. What are the gains, Paul? What are the gains in knowing Christ? How is it so much more worth so much more than all the things that we could attain on our own, in our own aspirations? First, Paul says, the, the gain is that you gain Christ. Look at verse 7. It's very simple. I counted everything as lost for the sake of Christ. Christ. This is what you gain. You gain God, the human, the person. You gain a relationship, and that relationship is worth far more than you could ever have and ever achieve. It's a relationship with Christ. And Paul says it was worth it for this. But it's not only just, it's the relationship, but he says in verse 8, the beginning of verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul says it's an experiential knowledge. He's experienced Jesus. I wonder if you experience Jesus. Do you just experience him? Like his, his kindness and his love, his forgiveness for your sins, his power in your life. Do you just experience him? Paul says it was all worth it because I experience Christ. I know him. Then verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11, it, it's very interesting and it's really easy to divide. 
and others, this comes from others, this is not original with me, but verse 9 simply refers to basically our justification. It's, it's the beginning of our walk with God. This is what verse 9 is talking about. He says, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That simply refers, friends, to your justification being made right with God when you receive the righteousness of Christ and He forgives your sins. So verse 9, if you're taking notes, you can just write, verse 9, sanctification, I mean, excuse me, justification, Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings. I feel that way too sometimes right now. Share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This refers to sanctification. Just growing in Christ. You see, when Paul says the power of Christ's resurrection... Friends, that's the power that works in you for obedience. That's the power of Christ's resurrection, of new life in Him, is the power that works in us, the believers, for obedience. And so this is why Paul wants to know the power of His resurrection, so that he might obey, so that he might obey Him. This comes from Romans 6, and this is in your notes, just to reaffirm this. In Romans 6, verses 7 through 11, Paul says, For someone who has died has been freed from sin. You get it? You you die, you're, you're free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, in other words, in Christ's death, we believe that we will also live with Christ. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he's never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then what's the implication, Paul says? So you too consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You get the picture? In Christ's resurrection, as you trust in Christ in faith, and He gives you life, His resurrection power is what enables you to be obedient, to grow in Him, to walk with Him. And so this is why Paul says, I want to know the power of His resurrection and share in His sufferings. And become like him in his death. Why, Paul, why do you want to share in his sufferings? What does this have to do with it? To fellowship in his sufferings, friends. This suffering is simply, it's the experience of humanity under sin. We shouldn't be surprised when there's suffering in the world. We're in a world with sin. And this is what happens. But suffering is also the experience of Christ for our sins. And so, if you ask Paul, I I said this in one sermon and I strongly believe it. If you ask Paul, how do I know Christ best? I think Paul would say it's in suffering. It's in suffering with him. You see, in comfort we're complacent. In suffering we're searching. But we're not alone. We're suffering with Christ. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on suffering. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
God calls us to attention in our sufferings and we seek Christ. We realize that we can suffer with Him. But we, sh- we really shouldn't try to limit the definition of suffering. Sometimes we just think of people in other countries who are dying because of their faith, being persecuted. We really shouldn't limit the definition. Listen to this quote by a man named Dick Lucas, a pastor. He said, if you do not find yourself in a fight against your flesh, the world, and the devil, then you are probably not a Christian. You hear that? If you, did not find, if you do not find yourself in a fight against your flesh, the world, and the devil, then you probably are not a Christian. Don't limit the definition of suffering. It could just be suffering and, and resisting sin and looking at pictures on the internet that you shouldn't look at in submitting to God and, and whatever it way may it might be. Any temptation. This is suffering with Christ, resisting sin. Resisting the world. So this is why Paul wants to suffer with Christ, because there he gets to experience Christ. And then also, because he can become like him in his death. And to become like Christ in his death, this is where Christ experienced fullest obedience. Remember what Paul said in chapter 2, that Christ humbled himself to obedience, to death? but not only death, but death on a cross. This is where Christ expressed fullest obedience. Jesus honestly asked the Father if there was another way. He said, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass. He was brutally honest, but in the end he would say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, this is why Paul wants to become like him in his death, because he was brutally honest, he didn't want it to go that way, but he would say, not my will, but yours. And this is what obedience is about. Saying to God, not my will, but yours. And so this is why Paul wants to become like Christ in his death. He wants to experience this height of obedience to Christ. And then lastly, that by any means possible, he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, it kind of sounds like Paul's unsure about this, huh? That by any means possible, hopefully I can attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't, I don't think Paul's uncertain that he will experience the resurrection of the dead and that he will be with Christ forever. He's not uncertain about that. He knows that if he continues to be obedient and walk with Christ, that he will be found faithful. Do notice the warning here, friends. And we've said this before in Philippians. If you grow weary and you quit, there is a strong possibility that you were never part. That's the warning Paul, I think, is giving, that we must continue and then we will experience the resurrection of the dead. Paul is certain that this happens as we obey Christ. It's the fruit of the believer. It's obedience. As we conclude, why is Christ better? Why is He better than everything that we have on our own, that everything we were born into, everything we could boast about in ourselves? He's better because He's not temporary. You see, boasting in earthly gains, it creates only eternal loss. Christ is not temporary, but everything we have on our own, it it is. It will die. 
out with us. Secondly, Jesus is supremely satisfying. Isn't this what we all long for? And isn't this the root of all sin and all evil? That we in our hearts are not satisfied and so we seek satisfaction in other places? And what Paul wants to say is Jesus is supremely satisfying. I lost it all just so that I could know Christ. And that was all the satisfaction he needed. So, just a few questions for our invitation. Unbeliever, will you count your life of sin as loss so that you can follow Christ? It's, a, it's, it's rational and emotional decisions. Will you count everything in your life as loss so that you can follow Christ? This is what it takes. Count all is lost so that you can follow Him and know Him. And then believer, are you continuing to count everything as rubbish so that you can know more of Christ? This has to continue to happen. I would ask you, would you examine your heart what, what things are there in your life, your, your version of kryptonite that's keeping you from hungering for Christ? I think Paul is insisting that this is simply the, the fruit of the believer. You should hunger more and more for Jesus. And our hearts should be strongly convicted when we don't. It means that somehow we are beginning to boast in us again. So what is there that keeps you from longing for Him and seeking Him more? For the invitation this morning, I'm going to have Angela just play, but I would ask you just to remain seated this morning. I really would love it if you would just sit and you would walk through the passage and you would just pray through it. Particularly those final verses, verses 7 through 11, he would just pray and ask Christ to give you a hunger for him like Paul had. May you long for Christ and to be satisfied in him in this way that you would not long for other things. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you promised to be satisfying for our souls. Sometimes we don't experience this, but Lord, we know that that's simply because of our sin, not because you're not satisfying. God, please wrench our hearts that we would long to know you more and to love you more. Help us in the middle of our every day to exalt you as our Lord and not boast in our own self, our ability to attain things. Lord, may we love you and count all as loss. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If any of you, I'll be standing here, if any of you would like to come forward and pray at the altar, or if you would like to come forward and talk, I'd welcome you to to do that. But I would ask you to also just...
take time to pray through this passage.